0: CircuitCast, Cast with your host, Mark Amory.
1: Kia ora koutou. welcome to Circuit Cast, a space in the digital ether for lively discussion on moving image and art. Here we are speaking to you from a highly secured studio betwixt a bowling club and an SPCA somewhere in suburban Wellington. In the pod this week, we speak to performance and video artist Salmon Sun, who has just curated a series of 14 performances over three weeks in Dunedin. And meanwhile, in Tamaki Mikado, the place of a hundred lovers, Auckland, we speak to director of Tatuhi, James McCarthy, about the Maldives' Exodus caravan show, an exhibition stuffed into a caravan that looks a little bit like an inflatable tropical island on wheels. James is the driver. But first, to our critical panel, with whom this month we consider In Speculum, a survey exhibition of recent work by Turner Prize-winning British artist Simon Starling at City Gallery Wellington. Here with us in the pod uh, today, our writer, Thomason Slay. Thomason, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, and congratulations on the publication of your first novel. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. Ad lib.
2: <laughs> just get to do a little bit of self-promotion. Thank oh, you. Yeah, it's nice to have it out in the world.
1: And martinpatrick.net, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I was yeah. just looking at your um, website this week, and it's got an image in the, on the homepage of what looks charmingly like a cross between sort of an office and a home DIY uh, project.
3: Oh, well, that's that's my home. I wonder if it was kind of a
1: representation of where your brain was at oh yeah pretty much Right. (laughs) right okay The subject at hand is in speculum. Um, And what's unusual about this month's critical panel is we've all written about Simon Starling's work recently. Thompson, you've interviewed the man for the Lumiere Reader, Mm -hmm. uh, which people can read online. I've reviewed the exhibition for icontactsite.com, which you can read online. And Martin, you've uh, reviewed it for the New Zealand Listener, which is hidden behind a subscriber's paywall online. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of interesting to kind of reflect on that. I I I wondered to start with whether... Since it's been a month or two since the exhibition opened, whether this this is work that stayed with you both
2: yeah, absolutely yep, it's definitely I, I saw Simon's work um, the first time I saw it was the willem Noack work in at Venice luckily enough um, oh. it was like two thousand and nine or something like that. and I've always actually remembered that work from back then, so I was really mm. excited to re-experience it um here in Wellington and yeah, it it definitely um has has stayed with me and it's and it's kind of complex network of ideas um, but also you know, it, sometimes these things are set up as mutually exclusive, but it's it sort of really experientially stayed with me as well.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mark?
3: Well, I think yeah, uh, yeah, I've really liked uh, Simon Sterling's work for for some years, and the um, I've seen it it. Yeah, as Thomason was mentioning, and in biennial format and in um, commercial galleries. And it's probably the... F- and I've seen it at the Tate Gallery in London, different pieces. and this. But this is the first time I've seen a collection of the work in a curated uh, exhibition um, uh, consecrated just to his work. And I think it really was a, a, a lovely experience and particularly a, a very informative one to have here in Wellington because I think he's a really... Uh, Interesting international artist, very indicative of a lot of strands. So one thing that I think his work really addresses is sort of merging of fact and fiction and a sort of almost a documentary impulse that then becomes quite fanciful. Or I think in my review, I talked about it sort of in a kind of liter- literary way, sort of akin to certain. Um, novelists and so forth
1: yeah well he actually says that in your interview thompson which i thought was really interesting he says when i'm making art i'm thinking up novels in a way i'm involved in an activity which is similar to that of a narrator Mm. which I, i found really interesting for me it's fascinating that the work is about construction you know be it he touches on film editing on i don't know balsa wood plane making furniture construction playwriting this kind of construction aspect of it is for me Pretty fascinating
2: yeah and that was something that actually was really surprising for me when I when I went to see the show just how much the work was just about making beautiful things because um, so much is made of you know it, it's it's you know as a, con- a so-called conceptual artist or about these like complicated networks of, of research that he does you know the work is research but it just was filled with beautiful objects that I could spend a lot of time looking at Um the I forgot the name of the work, but the video that's about the no play um, so you know, the mask making
3: masquerade. Is yes, it yeah, a masquerade yeah. for Hiroshima. Yeah, or, yeah.
2: Mm. that was. I, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but the, the actual process of mm. making those masks was just such a fascinating process, and mm. so um, so beautiful and intricate. And yeah, the, the, the physicality of all of those things was was one of the great uh, sort of joys and surprises for me in the show.
1: I think one of the challenges to talk about this or to write about it as well is that the works have such com- complexity in terms of the different threads and stories that you really have to actually experience the work rather than just read about it, mm. um, which is conceptual work was, was, was fantastic. But I, I agree with you that the, 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 there's almost a joy and there's a humour and and uh, yeah. uh, in terms of the and and, and uh, he says this also in the interview that you did, Thompson about. Sort of, he's not afraid to use humor as a way of getting people into the work to involve them. He is a narrator. He is a storyteller, but in in a very complex way.
3: Mm. Well, it seems that there are a lot of works. The the show seems uh, to have a few different trajectories. And one of them is the kind of the filmic or the cinematic or the uh, photographic aspect in which there's a lot of technology, a lot of engineering, a lot of craftsmanship. And it's not that that's not evident in some of the other works, but they're for example two roughly 30 minute video projections that you can just sit and watch much as if you're in a cinema and I really encourage people who haven't been down to do so because uh, one thing I emphasized in my review is I think it takes some time to let the exhibition sort of unfold you can't kind of mm-hmm. dash in and dash out and make a spot judgment on the work And but I, I'm curious about the notion of when people talk about and this has been written um, throughout a lot of critical commentary on Starling's work positively and negatively a sort of conceptual backstory. I'm not, I don't really know that I'm quite that comfortable with that term backstory because in a way that's huh. as if it's kind of improvisational actors who think up aspects of their character that aren't on the screen or something. The the, the backstory is really the central a lot of the central motivations and the and the conceits around which sort of the, the work...
2: driving force. Yeah, well, a, I think in it, it's yeah. pretty
3: heavy in, in the work. And this uh, w- one thing about the work you were mentioning the the video projection is that the um, uh, you know he uses a. Uh, a, a format drawn, a narrative drawn from an, a no play, a Japanese no play, but then, you know, has uh, James Bond or Sean Connery as James Bond, um, uh, Henry Moore, the sculptor, uh, Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken and all these sort of people as these kind of strange avatars that that come in and, and play certain roles in it. And this superimposition and this kind of hybridity is something that's quite... Uh, it's visually co- and narratively engaging without it having to be maybe dry conceptually. I think not, not at sure. all.
2: I, yeah, I was really surprised by. Uh, I was. I guess I was a little bit wary about 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 going in, but everything, all all the work, just seemed so kind of enlivened, and you could kind of uh, enter it at any sort of stage, but you weren't uh, sort of disempowered. I don't think hmm. as a, as a viewer. I but I think I work. think
3: sometimes when people criticize and sort of use conceptual art or conceptualism in square in 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 scare quotes you know like oh it's going to be threatening it's going to be dry it's going to be somehow not my cup of tea one thing that is evident throughout the exhibition in the sculptures as well in the installations is a sort of aesthetic generosity that there's a lot to look at there's a lot to actually get your um you know uh, involved with as you're looking at the pieces that might draw you to want to read the labels or you know and the labels are um y- you know uh, you can either get the gist of it or you can get sort of really involved in sort of that story mm-hmm. so uh, but i think there's a there's definitely a kind of literary kind of leading you down some kind of uh path that you don't know where it's going to end up that seems quite um Quite interesting about the construction of his narratives. Mm.
1: Yes, and I love the the idea that I think this is work that a lot of people who are unfamiliar with contemporary art would come into, and they would completely get it because they would come from, you know, you their so? their, yeah. their perspective as mm-hmm. a craft person in any kind of field or an appreciation of that, whether they're a boat builder or they're interested in, mm. you know, the novel.
2: Just in relation to that and the idea that there's, you know, a, an entry point in various places. One of the um Jordana who works at the City Gallery as as uh, one of the invigilators, she said to me when I came into the show that the work um with the three the three desks, so you know, quite maybe quite an opaque work, you know, from the outside. Um, she said one of the key kind of conduits into the meaning was people would come in and look at the outside of the desks and say, oh, that's a dovetail joint and sort of <laughs> admire that uh, sure. one of the desks has a series of quite beautiful dovetail joints. And then from there, Jordana's role is, is kind of as, as as kind of interpreter would then lead them through the, the droll joke that is yeah. that fantastic work yes he hooks yeah. you
1: in with craft it's similar with that 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 um, balsa wood plane you sort of go wow look at that plane yeah <laughs> <a> beautiful <object." laughs> i'm interested in the, in, the, in the structure of this as a survey exhibition and it's a survey exhibition that's um a partnership with uh the ima in brisbane and uh with monash in melbourne and uh, there's there's uh, Australian work here, and Starling's written, talks in your interview, Thompson, about the importance of kind of context and kind of relevance. But there's no New Zealand related mm. work here. There's no, th- there isn't that in, and I, I kind of almost feel that we sort of a second, you know, getting the second best in a sense with that. And I'm also interested in that kind of issue about the survey, the sort of sense with a survey exhibition structure now that you have to have a new work. Like a, a work in a sense that's less tested, rather than a greatest hits compilation we always have to have a new mm-hmm. song on the on the greatest hits, as mm. it were, with the visual artist.
2: Yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I could have done with a little bit more of the sh- of the show. I felt I felt like I was sort of I had such a great time. I was sort of left wanting a little bit more, and maybe a New Zealand commission would have been that like added added extra. Mm. Um, and also because Simon's work, it just seems or it does. There is so many little site specificities in it, and he often kind of responds to the social and historical context that he's operating within. So, to kind of not have that for Wellington or New Zealand as a site did feel like a bit of an absence. Mm. Yeah.
3: Well, well, I don't. The only thing that I would counter that with is the fact that, you know, uh, on the other hand, um, it's not always possible that something like that could occur and that it is a touring show that came jointly from other institutions and that the um and coming here it's also a a chance to see something that didn't occur here in new zealand we see a lot of new zealand artists doing site specific projects so i'm not sure about whether that really i was too worried over that but you know
1: i don't know i I feel unless i'm a (laughs)
3: trans-tasman you know a local in terms of (laughs) yeah i
1: mean i think we see a lot of uh, New Zealanders who've got international reputations and we end up seeing their work that they've done internationally here to a certain degree um, or, or, we, or we miss out on them like Michael mm. Stevenson's a, a, mm-hmm. an example or an artist that you might put into some kind of college with Simon Starling and mm. it f- sometimes feels like we're somehow poor cousins that we can't afford to commission work mm. of this, this calibre in this country compared to mighty mighty
3: Melbourne or something yeah. Well it would be great to commission more work <laughs> so I'm not saying that's not the case, yeah
1: The Circuit Cast Pod views, voices and debates on artists' moving image and beyond. And in part two of the programme, we phone a friend somewhere else on the planet. This month, it's the Maldives in the Indian Ocean, via Venice, via Auckland, via Pakaranga, indeed, with Tatuhi Gallery director James McCarthy. James is the van driver also, Um, trucking around with international project the Maldives Exodus Caravan Show. It features over 30 artists, and he's got an inflatable tropical island strapped to the roof of the caravan. Crossing now live to James McCarthy on the road. Where are you, James?
0: Uh, We've just uh, pulled up at the Tiwero Island on the Auckland waterfront, which is uh, located just between Karanga Plaza, or the event centre, and the Maritime Museum. So it's a boiling hot day, and um, Bruce and I are just unpacking the caravan for... um, for tonight's uh, free screening of The Island President, a film that was made about uh, Muhammad Nasheed, the, um, the former president and freely uh, democratically elected uh, president of the Maldives from 2008 yeah. to 2008- 2012.
1: So, now, what are the Maldives? Where exactly are the Maldives? Set the scene for us.
0: Maldives are located in the uh, southern Indian Ocean, and they're an atoll island that, capital is Mali, and that's where everybody lives. Um, it's very, very densely populated on the actual very small island of Mali. And there's about 500,000 people uh, in, in total, and they're Muslim. Yeah, so this this project has, has come from from the Maldives going on there. Well, this project, in a sense,
1: is, is, is a direct reaction to uh, the coup that overtook his government. Um, I understand it's uh, been born as a rebel exhibition, a, a sort of mini coup d'etat of its, its own of artists from the official Maldives pavilion at last year's Venice Biennale.
0: There was actually two pavilions in Venice. It drove the, Apparently it drove the Venetian um, administrators of the Venice Biennale completely bonkers, and they actually kind of pulled them both into the room and told them off. But it was because of the political situation back in the Maldives, Um, so the project as Thorin had first initiated it was the official pavilion for the Maldives, but the coup took place in 2012 and the incoming government uh, decided to continue with a pavilion at the Venice Biennale and basically couped. Uh, Soren at Venice and uh, he had to go out on his own um, and so this is why he was adopted by the Museum of Everything and uh, and set up his caravan in their space in Venice so he became a wee bit homeless within the actual uh, Venice setting itself um, and he married a Maldivian woman um, who, and that's why he went and lived in the Maldives for um, quite some time and that's kind of where this, where this, whole, how this whole project kind of came about
1: So what do people see when they see the the caravan when it's parked up?
0: So initially people often are attracted by the caravan, then they're attracted by the island, the inflatable island on top of it, which is Soren Dahlgaard's contribution to the project. That cuteness is kind of a device to kind of grab people's attention. And then once they come in, they see an original 1971 interior with orange everywhere. Um, And all the work is actually existing on headphones and uh, media players. Uh, screens, and um, three speakers with a um, whole soundtrack going outside of the caravan too. So there's about two or three pieces on each device. People just sit down, bang on some headphones, and they can they can work their way through through the pieces.
1: Right. I mean, well, the artists are all responding to the issue of climate change, and also I guess this is a work that makes some statements around that pretty sticky political situation around freedom of speech and expression in public space in, in the Maldives. Um, yes. Yeah. And I've seen curator Soren talk about the show as part of a movement of what he calls uh, eco-aesthetics, about art that is about
0: how you live.
1: Is it uh, ringing ringing bells with artists here?
0: I haven't actually really gauged many artists' responses to it here. I mean, mostly because we've been going out to general public sort of situations, mostly to general public we've on so far, but um, there was really good responses at the opening, um, which was, you know, mostly we have artists coming to our openings, and a lot of them, uh, you know, wrestled Mark Harvey doing the climate change, the climate wrestle outside.
1: He wrestles with people about the issue of climate change, does he?
0: Yeah, he, he gets you to talk about what your perspective on it is, and he takes either a counter position or um, he basically wrestles around your ideas. But um, uh, that was very successful in the opening. We had uh, lots of, I, I, I took him on, uh, I wrestled him. He was um, he was very good, and um, so he's, he's, a naturally, he's a naturally very good wrestler.
1: Well, it must be nice for you to get out of the office, James. Great, mate. It's really
0: good.
1: <laughs> 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 it's kind of interesting yeah. that the Maldives, I guess, are known as a, as a holiday resort, and yet this is, kind of, I guess, a, a project that's sort of you know looking at the underbelly or the flip side of, of, of that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's right. And and it is, I mean, it's, the climate change issue is obviously now at the moment, especially with the report that's just come out, you know, it's a really topical um, matter, and most people kind of hit that topic first and kind of you know, the discussions often are around that and we found it it's quite, it's quite challenging to get people to the actual art um, the topics of politics and climate change come up but getting them to the actual art and getting them to view the art is kind of the most challenging thing that we're finding and some of the art is kind of not making a distinct it's not like a, you know it's, not, it's it's not making a, a particular uh, political persuasion known or anything it's just making an observation. Like the Big Vanderpoel work, which is this um, film work of a two ships, uh, the Dutch ships that um, that are designed to suck up sand and to basically build islands, and they're used uh. all around the world now. But the Dutch um, uh, instigated the technology, and they're used in both good and bad uh, situations, where there are, you know, there's really um, extensive environmental research done before the project begins, through to yeah. one chat we had from Australia uh, said that he'd worked on one of his ships in the Northern Territory and it destroyed a local reef, you know, because oh. they were doing some land reclamation to the project that Big Vanderpool actually filmed and it's in it's and it's apparently in the Netherlands, and it was an incredibly top-notch. All the environmental um, checks were were done, and it's um, you know it's kind of what they do there, of course.
1: That, that's fascinating oh. in terms of this whole issue of climate change where we've got countries that aren't going to be in existence probably in 50 or 100 years' time. Yes.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we have a range of responses and the, and the most um, curious one thus far in my books was a chap who uh, wrote a letter to uh, in our book to the uh, past and present uh, presidents of the Maldives and suggested that he uh, or she build an ark huh. and um, that would solve their problems.
1: And on with the show. In part three of Circuit Cast, we speak to performance and video artist Salmon Sun, who's made quite an impact on the local scene over recent years with his vital, contained, yet explosive performances and video work, inspired in part by his experience of compulsory military training in Korea. Now, as we speak, Salmon's just finished curating and performing in a performance series of 14 works with nine other artists over three weeks in Dunedin at the Blue Oyster Gallery called Work and Play. Kia ora. fine southern greetings to you, Salmon. How's Dunedin treating you?
4: Kia ora, Mark. Uh, yeah, Dunedin's been absolutely fantastic, thank you. It's quite a rare chance to be down, um, you know, like, I mean, in a place for three weeks and work on a sort of, you know, performance series like this, you know, multiple events. Like, uh, yeah,
1: it's it, from the from the photographs I've seen up on uh, the blue oyster Facebook page it looks like you've been having a lot of fun
4: oh uh, yeah yeah it's uh, it's been absolutely it's absolutely fantastic I was just so flattered at uh, how much um, how much documentation um, we could we could make here and um, yeah I've just been really it's been really great
1: oh cool hey well, before we talk a little bit more about that I, um, we've just uploaded your um, 13th toothpaste action um, which was when you were in San Francisco last May looking at that San Francisco performance I mean I was reminded again that it's almost well I was actually almost reminded almost like a Mari karakia there's a there's a very strong stridency to it uh, which could be interpreted as a call to arms but equally there's, there's a kind of a warmth and openness to it to how people hmm. might respond to it um and it kind of changes yeah, yeah. it changes a space it entirely changes a space and i'm yeah. interested i mean do you like for example would the the, would the americans react differently to it or the uh, i don't know if you performed it in korea <laughs> a, a more mili- yeah, militarized well, um, I have country found
4: there are some some points there where actually the audience re- um, response um differs like um and in- in, um, in Taiwan, for instance, actually, it was really interesting because Taiwan is also a country where they have um, conscriptions of males there. And uh, uh, this young gentleman um, came up to me and um, sort of he was really um, crying a lot um, you know, cause then, uh, he, because he happened to be a soldier who actually came to my, see my performance on his um, three nights off because he was in the middle of his doing his service. And in Korea, for instance, this um, another young gentleman came up to me and obviously had done his service many years ago, even you know, even before I did. And and um, and he sort of um, said, um, you know, that I had my seeing my performance had cured him from some of the trauma that he had been through. Mm-hmm. All these things like that. there's a different dynamics there. Obviously, with America performing performing in San Fran or Kansas, for instance, it was. It was different again. I mean, they, they didn't have that kind of connection there. But um, in Kansas, for instance, actually there were some um, there are 60-year-olds to 60-year-olds, right? And and some of these people like uh, had um, you know uh, been through um, the war times or like you know it, uh, been been in the military or something, and and they uh, yeah there was there was really interesting dynamic there too.
1: Uh, what's interesting, looking at the photographs on the, the Blue Oyster Facebook page there, is that there's a lot of collaboration there um, mm. between you and other artists and potentially, I don't know, with the, um, the public. I'm kind of interested in uh, how, that, how that worked for you.
4: Um, the process I conducted these collaborations was actually the um, January summer residency I did in Dunedin um, through Blue Oyster and also with Nun Gallery. Um, Nun Gallery has been um, kindly hosting me for the whole time on Stafford Street, and uh, once again this month I've been staying at Non Gallery and doing the exhibition at Blue Oyster, and, um, and actually uh, most of these artists that are, have been involved in the performance series have um, exhibited their, work, their works with mine, um, and also will be um, uh, involved on the Saturday show, um, they're all Non Gallery residents as well, and artists, and also around the area. So actually, like, um, sort of living with the artists in the last month, actually, at Nunn, you know, that that I, I think, you know, they're like becoming, becoming their flatmate and actually just talking about ideas and um, morning coffee or just having dinner together. So uh, there was like a very natural sort of progression there.
1: Well, that's a nice, that's a nice way as a performance artist to conduct a residency that, um, over a period. Yeah. If um, yeah. So. Uh, You've, i'm interested in the the whole theme really you've called it work and play was there a kind of a, a brief that you were trying to give in terms of what you wanted to explore with with all these other artists
4: yeah it would yeah um, there definitely was i mean i've, I've always been interested in the sort of the idea of work and play you know people some a lot of the things that some people would do they'll call it work but some other people will call it a playing thing you know and like do we do we get pleasure pleasure do we get pleasure out of what we do as work even as artists, you know, we have, you know, our passion toward art or what we want to convey, but then, you know, there's a certain amount of labor labour and also, also like um, you know, the um honing in on your craft comes into it. You know, even if you know, whether you're doing what kind of art, this or art or that that art, I think working on ideas, um, repetitively and also giving it like a sort of accumulation of the development into it. I mean there's that sort of like work aspect, isn't there? Um, um, that kind of like Ritualistic behavior, and I just I don't know. I just like also chose the title because I think it was very ambiguous. Because I think um, sort of you know, non-artists may um, look at artists and say you know it's it's not really work, but you know the thinking time is also work as well. And I, and and yeah, I mean also the kind of I don't know. I was really interested in the kind of um, yeah, I don't know social definition of um, work and play.
1: How's the, can, you, can you give us an example from the works as to where you felt that kind of was kind of coming out successfully in the work?
4: Okay, well let's talk about the, um, the opening opening night work, where it was it involved of my uh, me and my toothpaste and a bucket of water and a ladder and onto a blue oyster um, front window space.
1: Can you maybe explain what the sorry, yeah, you maybe just explain what the significance of toothpaste is in your work for people.
4: Okay, the significant toothpaste came from my um, Korean um, compulsory military service that I had to do for two years in Korea. And obviously in the army, you're not allowed to really make art, really. Art really. Um, so I had to think of any way where I could express my um, sort of, I don't know, this built-up sort of um, frustration and also wanting to paint and wanting to make art. And toothpaste is a medium um, where it... It comes into every aspect of cleaning if you're doing cleaning in the army. We don't have like five different cleaning products. So the first thing that I had to do in the everyday um, bathroom cleaning sessions as a low rank soldier was to clean a mirror. Now when, when you clean the mirror, you put the toothpaste on and then you um, apply water to it and you, make it, you, you rub it all so you make it all white. And then you wash it away with water so that it becomes shiny again. Um, and so when, when, and that's the only time when the senior officer is not there. He's, he's off to have his cigarette before coming into uh, the bathroom to actually start monitoring, monitoring me properly because there's always going to be somebody that's going to be monitoring you no matter what, what you do in the army. So I, I took a risk, really. So I, I, um, I would do these sort of undocumented, um, you know, um, scrawling of um, um, multiple self-portrait sessions and um, you know, I'll wipe them away um, so that I wouldn't get caught. So that's where actually toothpaste um, started being, um, being part of my work, really. Um,
1: yeah, so back to the first, the first of the performances here, how did, how did that um, work, in, work in with that one?
4: Tapping into work and play idea, um, um, for example, for that was I, I was I was demanding and I was commanding people to actually come up and um, apply the toothpaste themselves.
1: Right. A coercion, in a sense, to, to get involved. Hey, Simon, you, so you've been here since 2001, and I understand the Immigration Department say you've got to leave us soon. I mean, I, I'm interested to know whether, uh, in having to leave uh, New Zealand, whether you, you, you do feel limited in what you can do or affect here compared to, to working overseas.
4: Well, you know, Mark, I mean, if I could, if I could stay in New Zealand, I would, I'd love to be based here. Uh, and and maybe that will happen one day because you know it's a it's a, it's a place and uh, when I say place I'm talking about the people here really um, that I've really um, grown to love. Um, I think the effects that my work has here or there I don't know I am I'm, I'm always keen to sort of keep on making work until I die and. Um, I don't don't know when when I'll die, but whatever. Um, I mean, um, if I have to leave, I have to leave. I just have have to embrace it, just like um, how I couldn't say no to going into the army because it was compulsory. Um, Whether this gets included or not, I just want to say thank you so much um, to the Wellington community. Um, Since since 2006, when I first came to um, Wellington to um, um, study at Massey, and I literally knew one person, um, and that was a friend from high school. Uh, and um, I literally knew one person and uh, didn't have family here, but uh, it was really, it's been an amazing experience.
1: And that completes Cast for the month. CircuitCast has been produced by circuit.org.nz with the assistance of Creative New Zealand and music by Orchestra of Spheres. Are ra.